0: Well, today I want us to um, basically spend all our time in one simple little verse. But before we do, I want to do something that's going to be a little unsettling for some of you, but that's okay. You can handle this. Let's have some interaction. Okay? Um, So here's what I want to know. This is the only verse you have. What are some observations you make of this? Just... Uh, what what comes to your mind? Anything at all from just this verse here that that you want to observe? Just shout it out. Always. 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 That's a rejoice. rejoice. Praise, God for life. Praise God for what? Life. life. Okay. There's action. There's action. You have to do something, right? Repeated. Repeated yes. Emphasis. Without ceasing. Without ceasing. Always. Yep. Ah, in the Lord, good catch. Anything else? It's a command, yeah. Um, all right, now let's, we've done the sort of uh, nice surfacey stuff. Look at your bulletin on the front side. The title of the sermon is Rejoice in the Lord, and there is, as I recall, two options there. An exclamation mark? Do you put that at the end of this? Or do you put a question mark? Why would you put a question mark? Sometimes you don't want to, yeah. Um, And doesn't that word always have a little frighteningness in it? I mean, seriously? Rejoice in the Lord always? Uh, So, There's a number of ways we can go, you know, with with a verse like this, and I just want to encourage us to sort of, I want to prime the pump a little bit uh, before we get started, because there's a lot in just one little sentence um, that hopefully I can demonstrate this morning. So let me pray that that will actually happen. Father, you know more than anybody in this room that this sentence has been unexperienced by me this week, Uh, and in that sense, I feel quite unqualified to preach it. But you are here, and we are here, and I am here, so somehow, as you always seem to do, would you give living water through this very rusty pipe In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, already you picked up on it. Uh, It's a command, isn't it? Okay, so let's just think about commands for a while. There's a lot of commands in the Bible, right? Uh, Commands, I've said this before, commands are not fences to keep you from doing what will make you happy, even though it feels like that at times, right? Right? They're, they're not fences to keep you from making yourself happy. Commandments are guardrails from keeping you from self-destruction, from plummeting over the edge uh, because your desires just rule every part of you. Uh, you can think of commands as sort of a, a Google, the, 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 the voice on Google Maps. Uh, they're the go- It's the voice that's the Google Map of your life, ensuring that the creator who ultimately knows where to direct you for your life to flourish, that he's the one directing you rather than your desires, which are sometimes good and most of the times deceiving. So that's the beauty of commandments. But here's an interesting question. What does it say about us as human beings, even as human beings who are followers of Jesus, who have the very spirit of Jesus living in us, what does it say about us that God has to command us to rejoice and do it tw- with emphasis? Again, I say rejoice. Doesn't that just sort of, just for a moment, let that arrest your attention? Well, I think what it says is that joy in the Lord is not our natural response to what's happening in us and around us. Joy in the Lord is not our natural response to what's happening in us and around us, which then makes me ask another question. Well, then what is our natural response to what's happening in us and around us? Anxiety. That's our natural response, which, by the way, anxiety has lots of forms. Some of you don't think of yourself as an anxious person, but you're an angry person. Same thing. Uh, Now, in Philippians... um, there are at least three different ways that anxiety shows up in the book of Philippians. Uh, one is holding on too tightly to earthly things that make you happy. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about those whose God is their belly, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's your, your stomach. It just means that it's your internal appetite. So, um, so holding on too tightly to things that we think will uh, earthly things that we think will ultimately uh, be our God, make us happy. The second way anxiety shows up in, uh, in Philippians, again in chapter 3 of Philippians, is working hard to maintain your religious credibility. These credentials, the things that you do in life to make you feel good about yourself, which Paul reminds us in this book, that's rubbish, that's all rubbish. Uh, don't get full of yourself in that way. And then a third way is uh, anxiety shows up in Philippians is retreating in God's call in our life to suffer and to serve others. Retreating in God's call in our life to suffer and serve others. So those are, those are ways that anxiety shows up. Uh, but here in my mind is one of the great counters to this whole problem with anxiety and we're going to see more about that next week is and someone pointed this out, it's in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. We're going to look at that a little more in detail here in a second but uh, remember this little phrase in Christ? Did you know that uh, this is, the? remember this is of all the things that keep repeating themselves, the word joy shows up in every single chapter of Philippians. uh, Knowledge, gospel, but in Christ shows up more than all of those other words combine. in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, which is a perfect place for me to pause and ask the question, are you? Are you in Christ? I'm going to guess for just a moment that there are um, three basic categories of people in this room. Those of you who have trusted in Christ, but yet you fall back into Self trust. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, you here maybe here's here's a way to get at it. Right now at this very moment, right now at this very moment, God was here face to face, what would he think of you? If you've trusted in Christ and you have hesitation, that he is absolutely delighted with with you and sees you as fully righteous, then you've fallen back into trusting, into self-trust. Because at the end of the day, you tend to think that God relates to you through your obedience and not through the obedience of Christ. So that's the first category. For those of you, what I'm about to show you about rejoicing the Lord should send your soul soaring. Now, there's a second category of people here. You're probably, in some ways, the most honest people. I'm here. I'm curious. I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a follower of Jesus. Uh, at the end of the day, you're trusting in yourself, right? You're trusting that whatever you're believing in or not believing in, that when you die, whatever is out there, it's going to be okay. Maybe you have some uncertainty about it. To which I would just say, is it possible that you're wrong? Are you haunted by that idea? Is it possible that you're wrong not to see that Christ and only Christ can save you and give you an eternity that's full of joy instead of an eternity that's full of misery? Those are the only two options. And then there's a third category, and you're probably the most difficult of all for me to reach this morning. You are the people that have trusted in Christ yet you're actually still trusting in yourself because you've never really trusted in Christ you see the first category are people if I can put it this way they have a want to follow they want to follow Christ and they're frustrated that they're not following Christ like they'd like to that's the category number one category number three you have neither the want to nor the frustration and that ought to be a signal of your condemnation. To which I would say, don't let another hour pass. While you're still breathing and your heart still has a little bit of softness in it, run to Christ. He wants you. He will embrace you. So, for those of you who are in Christ, listen to to these great resources of what it means, or not resources, but restatements of what it means to rejoice in the Lord. It means that all that's true in all situations, no matter what. Do you know all that's true in all situations, no matter what, that you can always tap into no matter what's going on in your life? Well, guess what? There's a book called Philippians, and just that book alone, can I just tell you some of the things that that are in it? Did you know that God who began a good work in you is actually completing it? It's true. Uh, that's all just this is all just from chapter one. That what looks like obstacles for the gospel is actually advancing the gospel. Paul is in prison, but the word of God is not imprisoned. That God works through wrong motives in people to actually proclaim Christ that every situation where you find yourself in, where your life is threatened, listen to this, every situation you find yourself in where your life is threatened, expect deliverance because you will always be delivered. You will always, always, always be delivered at every life-threatening situation, either by life or by death. Did you know that the very things that frighten us from the enemies of Christ are actually God's confirming signs that you're saved and your enemies are not? That's all just chapter one. Did you know that there is encouragement, loving comfort, affection, and sympathy in you for others because Christ is in you? You just have to learn to tap into it through humility. Did you know that you can work out your salvation with great intensity, with fear and trembling? Because God is always working in you both to keep you wanting to do that and giving you the power to do that. Did you know that ordinary, unimpressive, stumbling attempts at following Jesus, getting up again and again and again, are seen by God and his audience like stars against pitch-black darkness. That you, are, you shine as lights in the world against the backdrop of a crooked generation. Did you know that God has raised up people who seek after the interest of Christ, not their own? They even seek after the interest of Christ at the expense of themselves. They even give their lives up for the gospel, risking their very lives for that. All that's from chapter 2. Did you know that we worship by the Spirit of God? We worship by the Spirit of God. That means when you become a believer, it's like you're like a, a, uh, a ball of air at the bottom of a swimming pool. There's no place to go but up. And you can push it down, and it will come up again because we worship by the Spirit of God. Because when we're converted, we're not just given new duties, we're given new desires. And they can't be put out. Those desires cannot be put out. And that while we fight for progress in our Christian life, this is great. While we fight for progress in our Christian life, we do not put any confidence in that progress at all. Did you know that Christ Jesus has made you his own? And that's energizing That's energizing you to forget what you've had to give up to follow Christ. It's energizing to forget the shame of the past that no longer defines you. It's energizing to help you reach out and strive for what God has already placed in front of you and can't ever be taken away from you. That you can already begin spending your future inheritance now and you will never spend it out because it's an infinite inheritance. That you have a citizenship that is in heaven so you don't need to get stressed about your temporary American citizenship here. In fact, that actually makes you better citizens because you are, ex- you are exiles. Listen to this. You are exiles serving a country that doesn't last for a king who will, who owns it. Did you know that our bodies that get in the way every day of following Jesus. Our bodies that get in the way every day of following Jesus, that Jesus will take what is lowly and make it glorious. Because he has resurrection power to do what he's already doing from his throne right now, subjecting all things to him so that someday all things will be subjected to him. And did you know that that's just chapter 3 and chapter 4? There's more, but we won't go there. I think you get the point. That's why in the Lord makes always possible. You can always rejoice in the Lord because all these things that I've told you are true, and they they are truths that cannot not be because they are anchored not in us, but in Christ. There is always reason to rejoice in the Lord. Now, to complete this picture, we need to answer the question of what does joy mean? So I want to just give you three things about what joy is. These Some of these are repeats, but they're worthy of repeating. These are some of the things we've learned from Philippians already. Uh, joy is circumstantial. Uh, there has been a tendency, I've I've taught this way for years. I, I see it almost every time I see the idea of joy uh, in, uh, in uh, commentaries about it. And it goes like this. The Bible tells you not to rejoice in your circumstances, but to rejoice in the Lord. Obviously, that's true. We've just seen that. And so then the, 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 the formula goes on and says this. Joy isn't about circumstances, to which I want to say, no. It is, but hang in there with me. Joy is about a certain kind of circumstance. In other words, joy isn't this abstract idea oh, well, God is good, I guess that's good enough. The Bible doesn't leave us in this sort of useless, abstract territory that doesn't do much for day to day gritty reality. What it does is it tells us look around. See past your circumstances, reinterpret your circumstances, recognize that in all these situations, God is taking the gospel, the kingdom of Christ, and he's unfolding it right before your eyes. So what I would say is joy is about circumstances. It's about the unfolding of gospel circumstances all around us. So let me just give you a a few ideas. Well, first of all, start with Hebrews chapter 11. Most of you know Hebrews chapter 11 is the story about all of these people from the past. We tend to call them heroes of the faith. I'm a little uncomfortable with that title, but, but if you look about it, they're all about circumstances. What are, where does the faith come out of? Certain circumstances. It's all about certain things that are happening in their lives, negative things that wind up being positive things. And Hebrews chapter 11 is still being written today. In fact, it's being written all uh, around us. We just heard of uh, Spain today. Uh, God is at work in Spain, and and we have just one drop of participation in that, and it's exciting that drop could get bigger today as a result of hearing about God's work in Spain. Uh, We're going to hear in a couple weeks about Senegal. Uh, One of our own was just in Senegal, contacting our missionaries in Senegal. A few weeks back, we talked about Uh, well, uh, several weeks back, you gave a whole bunch of money to uh, a bunch of brothers in Sierra Leone. Spain, Senegal, Sierra Leone. Those are just the S's. (laughs) God is doing all kinds of work in our midst if we would just open our eyes and look around. In fact, uh, just to give you an assignment, see this thing here? It's a board. It's actually in our hallway back there. This is a board that you've heard of a couple different times. It's there for people to post evidences of grace. Now, I could shame you into responding and saying, obviously, there isn't much grace going on here. But that would be stupid, and I wouldn't do that. (laughs) But I'm guessing for every post here, there's about 20 posts that never get up there. And there's a place to be sharing those, and those things need to be shared. And that's why I would say there are people here that probably have a story to tell. Have you not seen that you have relationships in your life that are sometimes so difficult they're hard to bear? Have you not seen in those situations that God is shaking stuff out of you ugliness inside of you that you never knew was there but was there all along and he's using that relationship to bring all of that stuff to the surface where it will die in the light as you repent of it and you will begin to transform so that you can turn and say thank you God for this difficult relationship and it's on and on and on from there There's always cause for joy if we look for evidences of the promise of the gospel coming true in our life. That's also why joy is an always fight. It is an always fight. Let me just show you something from Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 25. If you have a Bible, you can look there. But if not, I'll just uh, read this for you. Paul is describing uh, his connection to the Philippians, writing from prison. And he says in verse 25 of chapter 1, I'm convinced I will remain, I'll get out of prison, and this is what I will do. I will work for your, he says, for your progress and joy in the faith. He is convinced there's more progress, there's more joy in the faith that these Philippians can experience, and the Lord's going to use him for that. But look back at verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. You cannot get joy in the faith. You cannot get progress without fruitful labor. Labor. Uh, that's what he's saying. It's an always fight. I'm not going to say much about this. I'll just say that um, uh, Augustine will help us here. Another one of these old dead guys. Uh Have you not experienced this, those of you in that category, number one? I was astonished that although I now loved you, speaking to God, I did not persist in my enjoyment of you. Your beauty drew me to you, but soon I was dragged away from you by my own weight, and in dismay I plunged again into the things of the world, as though I'd sensed the smell of the meal, but was not yet able to eat it. Galatians 5 describes it in one verse. The flesh is constantly, strategically opposing, militantly setting itself against the Holy Spirit who is doing the same. This ongoing struggle. Don't you feel sometimes like being a Christian is being turned instantly into a Navy SEAL stuck in a sumo wrestler body? It's just a struggle. It's just a struggle. So we're going to say more on that next week, so I'll save it for that. But I want to say this one last thing and I want to invite I want to pause on it for just a moment but um, I want to invite the worship team and the guys serving communion to come forward because this is a perfect place to draw this to the table in this last idea and again if you're visiting with us or you're new to us this is the bread and cup of Christ if you are in Christ this is for you Uh, so come up the center aisle receive the bread and cup, take it back to your seats, and then in a few moments, I'll lead us all together in taking uh, the bread and cup. But I said this earlier, and I'll say it again. When I first started this series in Philippians, joy thrives in community and barely survives individually. Joy is a shared virtue. Uh, that's why I love this meal, and I love the fact that we come up and we see each other visibly when we come up to take bread and cup. This is your family. This is us uh, enjoying and, and celebrating together. I want you to notice something in chapter 4. You can notice it a little bit from the, the verse in your uh, bulletin, but notice verse 5. Verse uh, The very next verse, after rejoice in the Lord, always again I say rejoice. Verse 5 says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Let me give you a slightly different sort of commentary slash translation of verse 5. That's a combination of the Message Bible and my own uh, little edition. I would read verse 5 this way. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you are on their side, working with them, not against them, because the Lord could walk in at any moment. That's, our, that's how we relate to one another. Working with them, not against them. Making it clear that you are on their side. Don't you find it interesting that in this book that has that as its centerpiece hum, the humility of Christ in chapter 2, and the problem of unity, as the local church comes under stress, that joy and unity and humility are all constantly working together in this book. And so here we have verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The very next verse, it's about unity and humility. And the verse right before verse 4 is actually verses 2 and 3. I don't know if you knew that. But, um, <laughs> and what are those verses about? unity so sandwiched in between this family unity is joy humility is that ability to set others above ourselves and that's a gravitational force that pulls us together around the gospel around Christ because this is the thing that matters most to us and not the petty problems that divide us you see joy is this common longing and it's stoked by conversations. We have a common longing and that common longing, all by myself without the rest of you sharing it and participating in it, that joy almost always dies. I've told you this story before. Uh, When I was 16 years old, I went and worked uh, a summer in Hawaii planting pineapples uh, and made killer amount of money for a 16 year old. You'll never guess what we talked about after these exhausting days of work, these 16 year olds living in these army barracks what are you going to do with all your money we're going to buy a car and of course i bought the greatest muscle car ever made a ford pinto (laughs) hey it was my car my money that's all that mattered Um, but that was that was what we were doing we were stoking the conversations we were talking about this common longing i mean that's why i love easter There's just a sense of energy in this room on Easter, at the brunch and everything else. Isn't that a prelude of what's coming? Which is why in our small groups and our informal conversations, we should be stoking the conversations. We should be dreaming together of what's coming. Let me say one last word here before we come to the table. About joy, suffering, and community. Someone has said that joy is experienced most where suffering has burned down our temporary paradise. Joy is experienced most where suffering has burned down our temporary paradise. Which is why if you're dealing with some hard suffering physically, emotionally, mentally, It is a family project. And by the way, Red Cedar is a great community if you're suffering. I'm telling you, from 12 some odd years of experience, this is a great community if you're suffering to let it be known. And even better, with our biblical counseling training that we've been receiving, we're learning how to listen to sufferers rather than to do that we normally do. Oh, let me tell you what worked for me. We're learning to keep our mouth shut and actually listen and recognize that we probably don't understand their suffering well. Let's just learn about it. And we're also listening through that training so that we don't just throw Christian cliches at people. What we're doing together as a community when people are suffering is we're learning to reinterpret our suffering circumstances through the circumstances of the gospel. Trying to find out what is it that God is up to. And what is Christ always up to? Read Isaiah sixty and sixty one. Christ is all about taking the beauty of losses, the ash or sorry, the ashes of losses, and turning them into the beauty of Christlikeness. Look for it. As you keep looking for it, sharing with others, and learning how to reinterpret your circumstances in the Lord, joy becomes contagious. The fight for it becomes more successful and our capacity to suffer and to serve others is increased. So, rejoice in the Lord, always. And if you didn't hear me the first time, again I say, let's pray and then you come. We do confess, Father, that it's as though Jesus has bled and died and taken on. It's not as though he has bled and died and actually experienced an infinity of hell in a finite moment to release us from an anxious, self-trusting life that we may bask in the generosity of your infinite joy and yet we just taste such a small piece of it like Augustine said. So here we are, Lord, at this table. Replenish us. May we feast on what you bled and died.